grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Jo Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, it's Jo Sparrow here. I'm the president of Jigsaw Queensland and the host of Adopt Perspective podcast. Today's guest is an adopted person born in Brisbane in 1955 and who was adopted just six days later. Helen Weeder has since gone on to meet her mother in the 70s and her father only three years ago through an ancestry DNA test. She is now working through her experience while writing a memoir in hopes that her story might help others. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, um, Helen. I'm so happy to have you join us. Thank you, Joe. I'm happy to be here. That's great. Um, Helen, could I just start by asking you to share with us what it was like for you growing up adopted? Um, well, it was it was difficult um, in some ways um, because I grew up as an only child of my adoptive parents, living in a, a regional um, North Queensland town where everyone in the Catholic parish knew that I was adopted. Um, and there was, it was a time when there were uh, loads of children in families, like nothing, it was nothing to have five or six kids. So Particularly it, in Catholic families, I would in imagine. In Catholic families, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I was a point of interest, you might say. And it was obvious that they discussed it at home, the, the, these parents, because their children knew as well. And some of them, uh, a few, of course, always a few, um, they taunted me with it. Um, and even though that wasn't the first time I knew I was adopted, but it it was still a shock. It It, it affected me viscerally. I was shaking and embarrassed and red-faced, and I just wanted to get home. I didn't want... Um, you know, anyone, I just wanted to be part of the crowd. I didn't want to be different or special. And at the time I had, um, well, an uncle and an aunt um, who couldn't have children of their own. And I don't know how I was told this, but somehow I absorbed it that Uncle Jack and his wife um, wouldn't wouldn't consider adoption because they thought there there was a thing called bad blood that you might be getting someone else's bad blood in inverted commas um and so they never had children and I know my aunt would have loved to have had children so it was really sad for her but I uh, there were often uh comments made by the more extended family like well, isn't it amazing how she looks like her cousin or she acts like her cousin? 
Um, I wonder why. Well, of course, it was because of my environment. I learned the gestures, um, the way of speaking, the, the culture from my adoptive family. And it's an interesting because you've got both happening. You've got your DNA influencing it. Um, and then you've also got your environment where you're being brought up. And so all of those things contributed to who I am today. Mm. Adopted children can be great chameleons um, in order to fit in and, and remain safe and not be, you know, yes, given yes, away. Again. Yes. Yeah. I was a very sensitive child. Um, I wish I wasn't, but I was. I was very um, lacking in self-confidence, um, anxious uh yeah and my parents um did their best to try and deal with this but they didn't have the skills or the you know understanding of psychology and what I needed was a lot of reassurance hmm. and I didn't really get that although I was very well looked after in terms of you know I never went without um I was given music and uh, speech and drama lessons I was given all those things and I went to a nice little stable school where I didn't have to change schools or do any of that traumatic stuff which was good because I think I would have reacted badly if I had um, but I still felt different and um, yeah um, I was sort of an add-on to the family yeah. my cousins dispute that they when I speak to this them today this my adoptive family cousins they say you know but you why would you want to see your original family because you are you were part of us and I know I am it's like I'm a split personality I've got this shadow self like following along behind but mm. yes my my memories all of that come from um my adoptive family experience. Yeah. I think sometimes your adoptive family can see it from their perspective. Like, yes, you're part of us. You're our family. And they want to envelope you in that and make you feel wanted and like part of something. But they um, don't understand from our perspective how things are yes. different and, yeah. and feel different and how we interpret them differently. Yes. Which can make it a bit of a rub sometimes, I think. Yes. You, you said everyone in your community and parish and, and family knew. Do you remember how you found out? I remember when these kids, um, they were sort of, well, they were bullying me, actually. they I was trying to ride home and they grabbed hold of my bike and they pulled it back and and they they yelled out, she's adopted, she, she's adopted. And this other child said, what? She's a doctor? <laughs> um, no, no, she's adopted. She, her mother isn't a real mother, um, or something to that effect. And I remember being totally shamed at the time, but I think I knew. I knew already, and I know that my family did tell me at some stage. I can't remember my age, but they couched it in like the idea that you were chosen, mm. the idea that. It was like a supermarket shelf that you can go along and you can have one of these six babies. And in my mind, I can still see those six babies and I was one of them. And um, <laughs> I don't know whether I should say this, but my mum said we didn't want the redhead, um, mm. <laughs> but we wanted the um, we wanted you. We chose you. But 
as a child lacking confidence, I took that on board and I thought, oh, gosh, I've got to be very good and very pretty um, because I was the prettiest, apparently, um, in order to be chosen, in order to be loved. And I've taken that through my whole life and it um, hasn't worked for me, shall mm-hmm. we say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had problems in relationships um, that I know stemmed from that early experience. But um, I'm also a very um, in unique individual as a result of it. It's a bit like sliding doors. What happens, you know, what could have happened and what did happen? Mm-hmm. And who would I be? Would I be a different person? Would I not be sensitive? Would I be more well-rounded? But I imagine that I would have had other issues if I was brought up by my mother, my birth mother. Um, and she went on to have seven more children. Well, we'll get to that. We'll Because um, I was just about to ask you um, what led you to search for your mother. Well, um, I was um a teenager and I was being naughty I was looking in my mother's um you know special things you know uh, fancy hankies and mm-hmm. petticoats and things like that and I I found my birth certificate right at the yeah. back of the top door and it was a real shock because my name was um I had a very distinctive German name so just for our listeners, this is not the birth certificate extract that most of us would have seen, and no. it's the only one that we would have seen. This, you're talking about your original birth this certificate. This was the original one, yes. Which is not usual for an adopted family to have that certificate. I know, I yeah. know. But it may have been about the circumstances of my adoption because mm-hmm. it wasn't a you get to choose your baby and they, it's random. This was a privately arranged uh, adoption through right. the Catholic Church okay. um, via a nun, um, mm-hmm. a matron of the Mater Hospital where I grew up, and she arranged for my birth mother's um, baby, me, to go straight to my adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't any choice there. That was just a nice story that they made up to make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so maybe that's the reason. I'm not sure. But, yes, yeah. it was an original. My father's name was not on it, just mm-hmm. her name, her maiden name, and my name, the name that she gave me, which was Jennifer Margaret. Mm-hmm. And ironically, when I was a child, my doll was Jennifer. I wanted to be <laughs> Jennifer. All the cool kids were Jennifer. And, uh, I mean, in retrospect, I'm fine with Helen. I think I, I think it's a lovely name, but um, it's just it's strange that that was my experience. I, I think my mother must have been <laughs> eyes popping out of her head when I did that. But um, yeah, so I kept that secret to myself because I knew Mum would not be happy um, about. Can I just it. say that I love that you did that. Like I did something like that too, except I knew that my mum had applied for some information and she said, you can have it when you're like 16. I was probably 10 at the time, which was just a stupid thing to tell me that she had it. (laughs) Because as soon as she was out, I went hunting and I read that thing and I never told her. 
So I do love hearing about adopted people who go, right, you're going to keep it from me. I'm finding it. (laughs) I had to remember the spelling because it was quite a distinctive (laughs) name as well. But um, Well done, you. (laughs) Yeah, it must have been. And then, you know, I ended up being uh, getting married very young. Um, Mm -hmm. I ended up in the same situation as my mother had, uh, pregnant while single. Mm -hmm. And... At that time, I was offered the, the choice of adoption, uh, but I said, no, no, I wouldn't be doing that with my baby because of my own experience. Mm-hmm. I just instinctively felt that it wasn't right. So, um, so Helen, that would have been. Instead. Would that have been like in the 70s that that happened it was, to you? It was early 70s, yes. Which is quite amazing that you were able to resist what I would have think, thought would be a, a quite a lot of pressure. It was only because I was adopted that I yeah. was so forthright in saying no. Yeah, because I mean that um, was the height of the, the height of everything. Most mm, babies. My mother even suggested yeah. um, going away to Sydney, and staying with an aunt and adopting the baby out there. And I said no. I and it. I didn't. It's not that I really wanted to get married. I think it that was a, you know, that was another poor choice that I made eventually. But. I do have two more children, um, which I'm very grateful for. And so I am glad in retrospect that I did get married. Um, But it was all a matter of covering up the whole, there was secrets about my adoption. There were secrets about my being married, you know. Uh, We couldn't let anyone know that I was pregnant. That was shame. So it's sort of like I've had a lot of shame Mm -hmm. um, follow me throughout my life um my own children don't see that because they grew up in the 70s and 80s and they they think there's not oh you were lucky you know you were very lucky because they loved their grandmother very much um unfortunately my father died when I was 17 so they never got to know him but they loved their grandmother and they even though she was difficult she was a difficult woman she was feisty but she was loyal and I've come since writing the memoir, I'm sort of understanding that that was probably a very good thing for me as an insecure child because she never gave up on me. She mm-hmm. never let, let me, even after we'd had fights, we used to fight all the time. She would come back with a peace offering. She'd come back. And she, she was a very big part in my children's lives right throughout and they we we only lost her eight years ago so Mm -hmm. you know uh, she she we still talk about her a lot um but my children also knew my birth mother after I found her um and I had to keep that secret too because from who from my my adoptive mother right um I did try to tell her um but she reacted very, very badly, very badly. She, um, and I understand why she was hurt. She felt betrayed. Um, and she said, I, I don't want you to see her ever again. Wow. Um, you're not to see her. And, of course, there's puts me into the situation of being a liar. Then I had to lie. And I, my children had to lie. And they were wonderful, actually. <laughs> they, they, we had all these um, uncles and aunties to my children. Who, who, my kids weren't that much younger than 
my birth mother's kids and we sort of used to meet them once a year and as they traveled up to North Queensland and you know sometimes <laughs> one of my kids would just slip up but mum was getting hard of hearing by that stage so she'd often miss the name mm. and we fudge it you know we fudge it but it wasn't that I loved my birth mother my my uh, more in fact I found it very difficult to establish that connection even after I'd met her on the surface I was the dutiful like a good daughter to her like a returning daughter um I took whatever she was willing to to give me and tell me um and I never challenged her even though I was in contact for 40 years before she died okay. I just accepted it and her she was still ashamed yeah let's step back a moment to um so you had her details that you'd found in your mum's drawer um, and you yes, hung on to so, that for a lot of years. So what? Well, it was a Woman's Weekly or, no, no perhaps New Idea, I don't know, one of those yeah. magazines. And I yeah. was living in um, an isolated, very one-horse town basically, um, where my husband was teaching, his first teaching position. And I read the magazine and it had an article where there was a reunion between an adopted person and their original mother. And that spurred me into action. I just wrote to Jigsaw mm -hmm. as a result of that. And I just forgot about it then. It, was, it didn't happen instantly. But perhaps a year or two later, uh, they got back to me and said, we found your mother. Oh, yeah. um, and I think that was a lot to do with the fact I had a very unusual name. Yeah. And they uh, contacted her and she said, yes, she would um, correspond with me or see me on, in some level. Luckily, she had told her new husband. She felt that he deserved to know that she, you know, that she'd had this baby. Um he was okay with it. He was okay with it. Um, so one day I flew down, left my baby in the town where I lived and flew down to Brisbane to meet the whole family. I was 24. And you'd been in contact with her by the time you physically met her for about yes. two years. Is that right? Yes. Well, the timing, I can't quite remember the timing, but we were writing letters. She would mm -hmm. send me photos and I would write letters, lots and lots of letters back and forth. Um, and I think that was comfortable for her at mm -hmm. that time. Um, but she had children as young as 10. Wow. And yeah. my eldest daughter was um, four perhaps at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we we corresponded and then I could, I found an opportunity where I could fly down. I literally went for the day. I didn't stay because mum, my adoptive mum would have known, why were you going away, you know, why are you leaving your baby? So she picked me up from the airport and I, I met her. And I know I've envied adoptees who and their relinquishing mothers who fall into each other's arms and just know it was right you know this is my mother this is my you know my original family I didn't feel like that I was very stiff and held tight I didn't I couldn't reach that 
the pain. I couldn't reach that pain and I couldn't resolve it. And I do believe I haven't even done that even today with lots and lots of therapy. But I did appreciate what she was willing to give. And it was more a friendship more than a mother-daughter relationship because she had lots of... Her children were very thrilled to meet me, especially the girls. And I'm still, you know, I'm still friends with them now. Mm -hmm. Um, We keep in contact. We know each other's families. Um, Yeah, and I'm grateful for that because they they were... You would think that as children of a large family, they would be horrified to think, oh, no, not another one. But they weren't. They were very welcoming. Um, So I'm grateful for that. Um, So, yeah, that went on for 40 years, basically. Uh, We'd see each other maybe once or twice a year, very rarely. Um, And she died in 2019. And I was there at her bedside when she was in the process of dying. I was included. And really amazingly, my brother, um, Mark, he he wrote the eulogy and he, I was sitting in the church, I wasn't expecting this, but he mentioned my birth and his mother's having this child before she was married. The priest nearly had a heart attack. He went red. He was, you could tell he was very angry about that, about that disclosure. But again, we have the secrets, you know, the secrets keep coming after us. Um, But I was very grateful that Mark did that. And I think a lot of people in the church would have been surprised because whenever my mum, my birth mum said, ever told anyone and I was often there when she told them she'd say I've got seven children she never ever changed it to eight children and I know that was because she was deeply shamed by the whole process and she shouldn't have been of course we know that now um but she was um and the Catholic Church certainly had a lot has a lot to answer for for all these um mothers and their babies. Yeah. Um, I was brought up a Catholic, but I'm no longer a practicing Catholic. Yeah. So what did you discover? I imagined your mother shared some story with you of, of how you came to be and, and place for adoption. It did, but it was very sketchy, very sketchy. Um She did give me his name, which was a plain name, so not a name that you could look up in the in the um, telephone directory and find. Um, And when I was at uni in the nineties, I I actually went through the microfiche at that time to see if I could find. For some strange reason, it never popped out, even though he had never left Queensland. I just find that amazing. But I don't know if I was ever really going to follow it through because, in some ways you know, he didn't marry her. She wasn't a teenager. They could have got married. You know, they were in their mid-20s, but they didn't. And um, she just told me that she, at various stages, she said he had another family and also that, um, no, she didn't really tell me much. She said her father 
uh, was really disappointed in her mm-hmm. and he took control um, and he sort of, she was told to go to call into this matron of the Mater Hospital, Sister Mary Magdalene, after whom I was named, and then come back through to Brisbane where she was locked up in the family home. She was not allowed to see the light of day for the, the last five, six months. Oh. And I was born at 3 a.m., so nobody saw her. No one knew that she was pregnant. And she was not allowed to see me after the birth. I remember her telling me a story that um, a younger nurse came in the next day and said, oh, do you want to see your baby? And she said, yes. And then behind her, the matron came and said, no, this baby's being adopted. She cannot see her. So there were, I know these days with adoption, there's much, it's much more open. There's, you know, the the birth mother gets to choose freely. Um, and, you know, she might hold her baby. She might even have her baby for quite a while. But that wasn't true in that day. And she was not allowed to see me. I've even heard of things where they hold a, a sheet up in front of the mum so she can't see the baby. But she didn't tell me that anything like that. But um, so my adoptive parents came down on the train to pick me up six days later and I was taken back um, to where I grew up, the mid-sized regional town, and I went to school there. My life was very stable. Um, it wasn't a perfect um, childhood in that my dad Ray was was suffering from PTSD. He had been um, in the war in New Guinea and he'd come back with what they used to call shell shock, but it was PTSD. And he was recommended to have uh, electric shock therapy for his brain, but he didn't choose to do that. Um, Instead, he, he, you know, self-medicated with alcohol and that was quite um, significant in my childhood. Um, But my dad was not an angry man. He was a a sad, broken Mm -hmm. man. And, um, yeah, unfortunately he died when I was only 17. So I didn't get to um, heal that with him. And I would have liked to. I would have liked to. Yeah. One of the things that you told me was that um, your mother had said to you I was old enough to know better, which Mm -hmm. just broke my heart a little bit because it's clearly something that was said to her by her father or somebody. Mm -hmm. Uh, She wrote really absorbed in that shame that I was old enough to know better than to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. That really broke my heart Um, because could you imagine, you know, being hidden away and having all of those things said to you, how that would impact your sense of self and and who you are for years afterwards for the rest of your life? I mean. Absolutely. And it it followed her right through to the grave. Yeah. Um, I remember she had an elder, a younger sister who was studying nursing at the time and I, she's still alive and I talked to her um, and she said, I wish I had been a more help to my sister, yeah. but I just wasn't in that space at the time and our parents were taking control of it. Um, yeah. It was a different time. Very different time, yes, yeah. yes. 
sometimes there's a great deal of time between when an adopted person searches for their mother and then their father. Um, can you tell us about your search for your father and how that came about, I guess? Well, I I kind of resisted finding him because I was blaming him for not marrying my mother. I thought, you know, why did he leave her in that situation? That's horrendous. But um, no one has ever really come clean about this. But I was, I, I decided to do my DNA because I'm, I'm interested in family histories. And I, I actually did um, family tree for my adoptive family as well um, and my children's um, father's family and also for my birth family. I started that later actually and I got a DNA test and it turned up with matches. You have close matches and these people weren't close, close, but they were cousins and I I contacted them and they said, well, your, your father is still alive um, but we are not going to be the conduit to to him. Um, I suggest you look here, here, and here, which I did. I was totally shocked, totally mm. shocked. I expected him to have died in his 60s, 70s, but he was still alive at 90 mm-hmm. and quite um, aware and cognitively, um, you know, he was managing all his own business affairs. He could use the computer. He was on Facebook, for goodness sake. And <laughs> I, never thought, I never thought to look there. <laughs> as soon as I saw that photo taken at his 90th, I knew that we were, we were connected. We were, he was my father. There was no question. And I, if you ask me what was it about his face, but it was, it was just something. I did, it was a familial a fam- a familiar look or um, it could have been the eyes or the, I don't know what it was, but I knew, oh, there's no question he is. Um, And he and his family had put their DNA on another site, another kind of site. Um, And I actually first got in contact with his daughter, which was a bit naughty, I guess, because I realised that he didn't, he hadn't told her. I only realised that later, uh, but she was wonderful. She was she was really excited and cool about it, and he said, "Yeah, um, I didn't tell you about this." So we'd kept that secret for 67, 65 years, mm-hmm. and um, he said, "I was always when I met him." He said, "I was expecting you to turn up after the um, government changed. They sent me a letter to say that." Um, if I wanted to, would I be willing to meet my adopted child? And he sent back and said, yes. Now, this was in the 90s, early 90s, after all that legislation went through. But I didn't get that letter. I didn't get any any communication from the government to say that he had said yes, and if I wanted to, I could go ahead, which I would have. I would have at that stage. Um, but he said, I've been expecting you to turn up for 20 years. And finally I do in his last, as it turned out, three years of life. And yeah, he'd had a very different life. Um, he was quite a successful businessman. Um, 
And yeah, I don't, I mean, he had married his his fiance and no one he he didn't I didn't ask I didn't ask um did he was he um engaged to someone else at the time and he didn't tell me and this is the thing it was a calculated um decision on my part not to ask because I knew that may have raised hackles and he might have closed down so I I just went with his story that you know they met at a dance they were dating they so so, and he's I think he offered um oh we were too young and I didn't push it I just said I just accepted that okay he was too young at 25 but um yeah there were reasons that they never uh I think think that they were it was a significant relationship I gather that there was romance and love certainly on my mother's part but um for whatever reason um it didn't didn't happen uh and now we have i have nine half siblings um on the planet <laughs> because of that decision from uh, only child to nine half siblings yeah, yeah i know it's freaky mm-hmm. because um when i meet them i have to keep them my eye I share blood with these people like, oh, isn't that weird? Because I don't have the history, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it puts you into a dilemma, really. So you've got now a lot of connections that you've made and mm. a lot of your parents mm. have passed away. Um, there were yeah. still new connections that came into your life. What have they brought to your life? Well... Um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm actually meeting my um, father's sister, as a father's daughter, tomorrow for lunch. She's popping through on her way to the south, and and we've met up quite a few times since. Uh, and you know, it's not an intense relationship, but it's there and it's appreciated. It's appreciated for what it is. We, um, my siblings were very much into the whole idea of blood being important. Mm. It was interesting. Um, so, oh, you're just like mum, or ah, oh, yes, that that comes from dad, or you know, they they like to see the the the. Um, the things that make you part of their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and ironically, I do look more like my mother than any of my sisters do. Um, I don't know. That was just a, you know, lucky dip, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it's it's good. It's good to know, but it's not quite the same as having been grown up with them. It's not quite the same. And when I was a child, I wanted more than anything to have a sister. Yeah. And now I've got four of them. Yeah. And yeah, but you can't go back. You can go forward, but not back. Um, it's all yeah. that shared DNA, um, you know, some likenesses. There's the connection you make you move forward, but that shared history just isn't there. No, no. And it's the nostalgia that isn't there. It's yeah. the nostalgia and the shared you know, history, yes, the memories. 
Which I can find like as an adopted person can be quite abrasive because you want to hear about it. You want to learn more about them, but then also your absence from that history can be quite the rub sometimes, do you find? Yeah. Yeah. I've always felt like on the edge. Yeah. Invited, but I feel like on the periphery. uh, I have to be a a perfect guest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's really beautifully put, Helen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Makes it, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's something I think we all share um in various ways, in various ways. Um and I am very grateful for my life and for my birth parents opening up and being willing to meet with me. I know there are a lot of instances where that doesn't happen. And that must be heartbreaking. But I I was always going to be the person who went looking yeah Yeah. you're a searcher Mm -hmm. so you're now undertaking this process of writing about your experience why have you done that I think it's because of my age um I've got you know I'm 68 this year and I feel that I've had a very in interesting you might say our life certainly starting with my adoption but it goes much beyond that um, um, which I won't go into here but um, I do believe that they're interconnected mm-hmm. that the life choices I made and I'm still making come from that first place um, so I, I wanted to write it down for my own healing my children I guess although they don't seem very interested but you know perhaps they will when they see it finished I think they're worried they're worried um I know my daughter asked last night um this won't this podcast won't be identifying in any way and I said no no last names and she said well at least at least all your parents are dead now at least they won't be hurt by this and that is true. That is true. Um, so I guess you have to wait almost until there's been some kind of, you know, your parents have passed. Uh, it would be very hard. I know my my adoptive mother would, would have taken it very, very badly if she'd heard this podcast and she was still alive. Um, so they've all gone now. And I feel like I can do this. And it's I don't know, make it, you leave some kind of mark on the on the planet, but also perhaps help others um, go through whatever they're going through. It may not be adoption, but it might be a struggle in some some form. So it it's, well, this is how I got through it, you know, mm-hmm. not very perfectly, very flawed, but this is, this is where I came to. Yeah. Mm. I think... Um... This is one of the things that saddens me um, sometimes for adopted people is and and others in, you know, for your adopted mother or, you know, anybody's extended family and, and close family, is that when there's conditions placed around um, love in, in it stops you from getting to know people. So by not hearing your story and or being able to talk to your adoptive mother about you're meeting your mother and sharing that with her she didn't get to 
experience what was a very important part of who you were. So it's almost like there was conditions around, you know, your behavior in order. Yes, I guess, I guess that affected our relationship right through life. And it, and it blocks it in some ways, doesn't it? Because then you're not being known fully. Yeah. And, of course, we have to be careful how we share these things with people and cognizant of their feelings. But mm-hmm. it, it does strike me as very sad when people can't know you fully. Oh, yes, um, it is sad. and But that's just the way it was. Yeah. My mother's personality was very strong and she was very much about her family. And she had allowed me into that family, goes, you know, Irish Catholic going back generations. Um, And she was not, she was very wary about strangers, about Mm. other people. And she really didn't have friends. Oh, she had, she had a lot of friends, but it was very on the surface. She didn't meet up with them. She devoted her whole life to a family, looking after her um, brother who um, had an alcohol issue, looking after her parents until they died. She was the one who did all that work mm. and she held us all close. She held it very close. So she was not going to let what she, someone she felt was a stranger into that little circle. Um, and she felt like unloved, I guess. Hmm. And I did assure her at the time that, Mum, this is not going to change who we are. I had three little children at the time and they they loved their nanny, you know. And she said, well, if you do this, that's the end of it. So uh, it was a very strong warning, do not do it, but I still went and did it. (laughs) What does that say about me? I don't know. I felt like I could manage this secret for 40 more years. It's ridiculous. Mm. Um, It's a lot. I know in my family I was encouraged to look and, you know, that was never a problem, but I also feel that um, particularly my adoptive mother still wants to control the narrative of how things were for me or, you know, we didn't steal anybody from anyone because the, the idea of forced adoption yes. makes her feel yes. like she did something wrong, which she didn't, yes. Yes. Um, you know, and and you were happy with, with things like we're, <laughs> she always wants to control my, how yes. I feel about things. Yes. Perhaps yes. to yes. consider anything else would hurt or feel bad or I, I don't know what it is. but Well, I actually happened to mention um the fact that uh, we're now actually calling it forced adoption. Mm. And my eldest daughter yesterday said, it wasn't forced, Mum, you know, because um, she knew my birth mother. She knew her well. She said, but you didn't, um, she wasn't forced. It wasn't like this stolen generation. I, I said, no, they were stolen, but this was forced. And there's a like, there's a, an akin to that. When you've got um, no other choices. And she, no, exactly. And she said, well, you can't blame her. I said, I don't blame her. Mm. I'm just saying that this happened. This happened. So mm. the, the whole idea of force, people are reacting to that, mm. you know, very strongly, especially on the adoptive side. Mm. It's yeah. a problematic word for a lot of reasons, but it's also a necessary word. I mean, they needed to come up with a word because you have to be able to communicate things, um, mm. you know, and, and put them in packages, so to speak, so that people can understand what they are. And there has to be words 
And yes. I personally can't come up with a better one, but I do see the problems with the current one. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, and you know, until I had got in contact with uh, Jigsaw this year, even though I've been living in Brisbane for 30 years, I hadn't thought of it as forced, but then I realised it was. Mm-hmm. There were a whole lot of alliances that were working together to convince or, you know, to make this young woman who was pregnant choose what they felt was best. And, you know, and I've also the whole idea of a baby is a, a blank canvas, you know, that idea was there. You can have this baby and you can make it into your family, if you can imprint it with your thing. And you can, of course you can. The environment does imprint. But there's all this other stuff that comes with it. And I've been reading a lot about epigenetics recently and, you know, the fact that it can come down not just from the parents but further ancestral stuff can come through. So we are very unique, I guess. Um, um, And... The outcomes will vary. Um, you know, the idea that, oh, well, I know some people who aren't at all worried that they were adopted. Um, I think my kids wish I was one of those people. I don't know if those people are those people, though. You know, most of the people in my life would have thought that I didn't um, have any issues about being adopted because I don't talk about it with a lot of people because you get a lot of really horrible or ignorant things said back to you. So it's I'm yes. careful about where I share and how I share. Yes. yes and I- also your perspective changes over the years as you start oh. to think about things more as more life experiences happen to you. And yes. so what you might have thought about your experience when you were 19 is different to what you would think about it when you're, you know, in your 50s or older. Yes. You know, it, yes. it changes. So you can't nail that down. And the fact is you you don't really know how a person feels about their adopted experience because they're probably not going to sit down and pop a vein to you, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I feel like there's no, there's no, um, there's no, they don't, people don't want to hear. They don't want to hear. They just want to get on with it. But the mm-hmm. thing, the p- thing is you, the people who have to hear this stuff is the people you have intimate relationships with. They have to hear it because it affects your relationship with them. Yeah. And, and your I, memoir will be a gift down the track at some point. Yes, I mean, sometimes yes. people are ready to hear something and sometimes they're not. But yes, to have yes. it there will be something that will. Well, it's it doesn't yeah. matter whether people like it or not. It, yeah. it It's my account. It's yeah. my record um, of my life. And they can write theirs if they wish. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it'd be very different. Um, but, yeah, that's I'm just putting it out there, you know, and see where that goes. I wish you all the very best with it, Helen. Um, thank you, and I Thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed listening to your story and there's a few things I'm going to take away and think about um, for quite a while, I think, and mull over, and I know that it will help others as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. And uh, I'll add any relevant links to our podcast, uh, podcast notes page on the Jigsaw Queensland website.
And thank you to our listeners for joining us. And if you have a story that you'd like to share with us and you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. Just note that Dot Perspective can be and is listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.